Welcome, America, and all international listeners, and to the astronauts in space floating around our blue-green diamond in the sky known as Sweet Mother Earth, Gaia herself, we say welcome to our podcast that you're listening to. It's called Election Profit Makers. Why Gild the Lily, the best name for one of the hottest podcasts this or any other podcast season. My name is Kid Midas, the original wave rider, and I'm joining the line by none other than Long John Silver. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right, I suppose. It's a historic day here in the United States of, that's right, America, because President Trump, or should I say former President Trump, is currently, as the time when we're recording this, being arrested or has been arrested. And everyone just thinks he is under arrest arrest. and that's just crazy. And everyone's just going so nuts. It's so funny to me just seeing it written out and it's not somebody who's changed their username or, uh, you know, it is actually a verified CNN account that's saying Donald Trump is under arrest in all capital letters and it's not fake. But don't worry, listeners, for those of you who think this this uh, this first New York indictment of Donald Trump is um, just a huge distraction, we are going to talk about other stuff on this episode. After all, we have to discuss amazing thrift store LP fines, which is also interesting. But before we get into the issues surrounding former President Trump's arrest indictment and its effect, if any, on the predicted markets, which, of course, is where reality is truly judged, I would like to bring our listeners' attention to another political indictment happening in the great state of North Carolina. If you're the type of person who doesn't want to follow the mainstream political indictments and you want more of like an indie political indictment so that at your next dinner party you can be like, yeah, I actually thought the Trump arrest was a little mainstream for my taste. I much prefer local North Carolina (laughs) school board arrests. Well, listen to this, John. I don't know if you've been following this in the Raleigh News and Observer. In Johnston County... You know Johnston County, right? Yeah, Johnston County, southwest of Wake County. Correct. The uh, the capital county. Exactly. In Johnston County, a school board member and former detective, <laughs> this guy, who's, who is confusingly named Ronald Johnson, so we're talking about Ronald Johnson of Johnston County, has been charged with extortion, felony obstruction of justice, and three counts of willingly of willfully, rather, failing to discharge his duties. This comes after he was fired uh, from the police force for being an unsatisfactory detective or law enforcement officer. I can't remember which. Um, So I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of this amazing saga. This guy is, I think, safe to say sketchy. If you want to talk about political indictments that that don't involve Donald Trump for whatever reason, I, I recommend you look into this Johnston County indictment of Mr. Johnson. Is this the guy that was with the Kenley Police Department and then everybody quit? Or is that something else going on in Johnston County? This is the guy who, I mean, this is like one of those things where it's like, man, you can really do it. Like if you start doing crimes, you can just do so many crimes. You just get in the zone and you probably start like your norms shift or you're like, well, I got away with that. I wonder if I can get away with it. You know what I mean? Like not that it even happens on a conscious level, but this fella's got, this fella's got multiple, multiple swords hanging over his head at this point, as maybe does former president Trump. When are they going to unseal the indictment in New York? I'm interested to see what he's in trouble for. Well, I have no idea. I'm trying to follow this news event um, as I do all big news events on Twitter, and it's just 
hopelessly broken for me. I'm confused. And uh, all of the people that I rely on are either not showing up in my timeline or they've left Twitter. So I I don't know when they're releasing uh, the indictment. Maybe I just need to turn on the television or something. Yeah, maybe you should go back to the old school ways and watch cable news. Do you do that? No. Oh, okay. You just read everything on the New York Times I'm not following the Trump indictment. I'm only following the Johnston County indictment. Oh, okay. Because there's something else you need to know, which is that this is all. This is like a small scale mirror of the whole Trump thing, because the Republican members of the school board are accusing Josh Stein, the Democratic Attorney General of North Carolina, of masterminding this political prosecution of their beloved <laughs> fellow Republican. I'm telling you, this is like a small scale model of what's happening in New York right now with Trump. It's playing out in the in Johnston County. Much, there's much to learn, John, if you pay attention to the news, I've decided. This is my new proclamation. There's much to learn of the events of the world if one only pays attention to the news. I had no idea we were going in this direction. Is this on the outline? No, this is I'm – I'm, free, I'm freestyling right now. It's good. I like it. I got a push alert from the Raleigh News and Observer. And you just went for it. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. This guy – this guy's last name – is only one letter off from the county in which he's being indicted. This is total election profit makers bait. I have to look into this. And then I started reading mm-hmm. about it and there are all these parallels with Trump, you know, long history of, of misdeeds and, and misbehavior, trying to manipulate people, mm-hmm. destroy evidence. Hello, Mar-a-Lago much? Document controversy much? He was caught trying to destroy evidence and then fellow Republicans rallying around him and trying to blame Josh Stein. Yeah. Like like how national Republicans are right. Yeah. It's Jewish. Just like George Soros. Exactly. Yeah. That whole bugaboo. Anti-Semitic bugaboo. Oh, my God. I'm telling you. There is. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. There is much to learn if one chooses to pay attention to the news. So let's get back to your Twitter experience. You're trying to follow all this using Twitter and it's not working? No, it's not working. I mean, I think people that are still on Twitter know that there's been this new tab introduced called For You and it's uh, not chronological. So everything is sort of confusing and you keep finding yourself in the For You uh, feed and uh, everything is not making sense or it's old. So you go to your chronological feed, which is called following, but even the following feed is all messed up and showing things out of order from days ago. I mean, I'm I'm showing things that are happening 15 seconds ago next to things that are happening that have happened four days ago. Everything, everywhere, all at once. That's yes. the new Twitter experience. That's right. It's, it's not good. Plus, the algorithm is pushing... Uh, people that have uh, Twitter blue verified accounts that have paid the $8 a month. So you're getting these things that are popping up uh, that look like they might be coming from important people, you know, these hot takes, and it's just clouding and crowding everything. Uh, and they're just people with like 10 followers. Oh so my God. It's, a, it's a weird This a weird should thing. be one of the greatest days in Twitter history. It should be, yes. This should be number two after Trump getting COVID. And instead, I wonder if this will be the day where a lot – I wonder if this day will lead to another round of a mass exodus from Twitter because Twitter was made for moments like this or it was at its best at moments like this. But if your experience is any indication of the broader user experience, 
I wonder if a lot of people will finally quit in frustration. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to happen like that or it's just a, a gradual thing. I mean, it just continues to, to get gradually worse. But you are right. Today is the first day that I was like, oh, I thought maybe uh, we would have you know a dead cat bounce type day where it was really great. And you're like, yeah, that's how it used to be. And then we'll go back to sucking. But right. no, we didn't even get that. It just, it's not, it's not there. I'm sorry. It's all right. You know, we got a uh, Discord server that uh, I spend a lot of time on now. The Election Profit Makers Discord. I, yeah, I get way more interaction on our Discord channel, you know, um, than I do on Twitter for sure. If you want to join the Discord, of course, you can simply join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Election Profit Makers. I've also been mailing out the brand new Listen to the Numbers stickers which are blowing people's minds and causing them to think from coast to coast. So that's always available to you. We appreciate your support. John, let's keep talking on our podcast. Okay. We had a side bet about whether former President Trump would smile or grimace in his mugshot. And now we come to find out there's not going to be a fucking mugshot. What the fuck is this bullshit? No mugshot. How is that fair? How is that legal? How is that American? Yeah, I I thought okay maybe they won't uh, handcuff him, but certainly they'll go through that booking and and you'll have uh, just official documentation that he was uh, that he surrendered and and I guess they're saying it's a security issue, it's too many movements and I don't know, it just seems like bullshit to me. It kind of seems like bullshit to me. The Times said that it was. Logistic, a logistical concern because he might have to go to Brooklyn to get a mugshot. And then the other concern was that a mugshot is merely to help law enforcement or the public identify somebody. But everybody knows what Trump's look looks like. So why bother? Yeah. Like if you say if if you got a news alert and said be on the lookout for former President Donald Trump, a wanted fugitive. You're not going to be like, oh, what does that guy look like? Hmm, yeah. I wish I had a mugshot I could look at. So several officials said that they had concern that uh, it would end up being leaked. And that would be a violation of law and could prompt an investigation and a political firestorm. <laughs> I mean, my first thought was, wait a minute. I, I thought a mugshot was public record. Here in the South, when you- we, we, You can shoplift lipstick from CVS. They'll put your mugshot up. Yeah. You, your mugshot is anybody can look up and, and check out your mugshot. Right. But apparently it's um if it got Maybe leaked, in New York it's different. Be... Yeah. Actually oh. I, I'm I don't really have a problem with that. Because you know, a lot of times you have a mugshot because you got arrested and then you don't end up getting convicted of anything. Yeah, that's true. Mugshots on the whole I think are kind of sketchy and problematic. Yeah. Still I was disappointed to see that we won't have a Trump mugshot because now I'm out twenty dollars. Because we'll no, never know if he would have smiled or no, frowned in his No, the bet shot. was, if you remember, the bet was if a mugshot does happen. Yeah, what I'm saying is I'm out $20 because I was going to win the bet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, remember, this is not his first arrest. There will be – there There are several future uh, – So our bet covers all future mugshots. It's a $20 wager for this and any other Trump mugshot. If he smiles in the mugshot, you pay me $20. If he frowns in the mugshot, I pay you $20. Right. He might split. He might 
he might he, he play just both might. sides of the aisle. I mean, he, <laughs> he is a master might. compromiser. You know, he's in the classic Tony Blair, Bill Clinton, yeah, third way style right. of political compromise. He says everything yeah, and does he might everything. Do, he might play both sides of the aisle here and smile in one mugshot and then frown in the other mugshot and then it'd be a wash. Or he'll pull like a Mona Lisa and then there'll be a huge debate about then we have to hire an what exactly art historian is. to tell us is he smiling what is this facial expression we could hire your dad so no mugshot however donald trump might not be smiling at his mugshot but he does have plenty to smile about when we look at the latest polling of him relative to the other uh candidates in the gop presidential nominee field i kind of biffed are, it at the end that was a pretty good transition i have to are say are you referring to a specific poll? Well, I'm looking at this poll, Yahoo, YouGov. Donald Trump went from an eight-point lead over Ron DeSantis a couple weeks ago. Now he has a 26-point lead over Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Ron DeSantis yeah. is so done. I, I think he might not run. He's not going to run. He's I've not going to run. I stopped bookmarking these polls because they're all the same. They're all right. just he's, – he's just wiping him out. Yeah. I think Ron DeSantis is not going to run. And you know what I think the final nail in the coffin was? It isn't this Trump indictment. It's that Disney fucking played him so hard. He thought he was going to be the ultimate badass and shut down Disney and take over Disney. And somehow Disney's lawyers did some kind of jujitsu I don't understand. And Ron DeSantis's little government takeover Disney is absolutely powerless. They All they get to do is like clean the streets for free or something. Like it's a total, <laughs> total domination by Disney. Wait, you're talking about the Reedy Creek improvement. Yeah, the Reedy Creek development paradigm or whatever the fuck that whole thing was where Ron DeSantis could appoint some board members and then they would control Disney and they wouldn't be able to make gay movies anymore or whatever that whole bullshit Uh, was. I don't know about that. But uh, um, yeah, it had something to do with, yeah, controlling, yeah. He got his ass kicked by Disney. So you really think that is – I don't think that's it. You think it's all just Trump stuff? People rallying around. I, ju- I think it's. I think president? it's uh, Desantis. I think oh, he just sucks. Himself. And yeah, he comes across as whiny and weak and um, short. Ouch. Not that I have a problem with anyone being short, but apparently that's not a good thing in politics. And he is, um, you know, not as tall as Trump. I guess. Uh, you know, there were a number of people that saw this coming that just said, you know, Jamel Bowie is someone who said, I think the more and more people see DeSantis, the 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 less they're going to like him. Um, and I think he's absolutely right. I think that's happened. And maybe DeSantis will have a future. Uh, just another, another uh, election. He sits out this time. You know, we talked about this briefly last time. I said that maybe he sits out and then uh, Trump runs against Biden and then he, he's able to run in 2028. I don't know. So we're all in on Asa Hutchinson, the former Arkansas governor who announced this week that he's going to run for the Republican nominee. We Oh. You didn't hear that? No. I was following March Madness. Oh, right. We'll get to that in a minute. Hold on. Let yeah. me look at the GOP 2024 market. We got Donald Trump's up 40 – well, see, now now this is what's so interesting about our podcast and why people love it because while the polls that you're citing have Donald Trump over like over DeSantis by like 20 points, you know, mm-hmm. 
On predicted, he's only up by six points, 42 cents to 36 cents. Make it make sense, John. Make it make sense. Uh, there's just not a lot of volume left on predicted. Yeah. Okay. I think. Good, good, good explanation. But when we look at the Biden Trump market, John, now you might yeah. find this interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> Trump is crushing the – I'm just trying so desperately to keep predicted interesting. Trump, Trump is dominating the Republican nominee market. But when we look at who will be the 2024 presidential election winner, Biden is up 40 to 27. He's beating Trump by 13 cents. And in this market, John, in this market, Ron DeSantis only trails Donald Trump by one cent, coming in at 26 cents to Joe Biden's 40 cents. Again, I ask, make it make sense. Most of the polling I've seen uh, shows Trump and Biden head to head pretty close. So this nation is stuck. (laughs) This nation is so stuck. Yeah. Yeah, you think? Yeah, because if it's those two guys again and it's close again, that will prove my theory that this nation is stuck. But we haven't seen the indictment yet. Maybe there'll be some funky indictment that none, no one was no one was prepared for, and that will change the game. Probably not. Well, though. let me. Uh, you know, this is all breaking right now. So let me go on Twitter and just see if anything's happening. You do that, and I'll play an Irish jig while you look on Twitter. And the green hills. And the purple heather blowing in the Irish wind. What did you find out? Uh, North Carolina Democratic lawmaker representative uh, Trisha Cotham is expected to switch her party affiliation to Republican, handing North Carolina Republicans a legislative supermajority. What? And the votes to override Democratic Governor Roy Cooper mid-legislative session. Wow. Uh, You saw that on Twitter? Yeah, that's um, just breaking in the last... 10 minutes. Um, she is in a Biden plus 23 district. So weird. Stuff. don't know how that's going to work out with her uh, in the next election, but it's certainly going to work out very well for the Republicans hmm. in the legislature. Hmm. Really? That strange. sucks. So that's, yeah, that's what most of my timeline is right now. All right. About that. Well, let's keep it moving. Okay. John, last night saw the final game in the 2023 NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, it did. And after the past month of our special Patreon episodes recapping the tournament, last night it all came to a glorious end. Do you want to talk about this briefly and then announce the winner of the EPM March Madness bracket we had going? Yeah, well, last night we had uh, the Connecticut Huskies take on the San Diego State Aztecs in the national championship, a four seed and a five seed against one another. And... UConn was favored by seven and a half points, which is the most anyone has been favored in a national championship game since UNC back in 2009. 
and UNC went on to win that game against Michigan State in 2009 by 17 points, which is one of the biggest blowouts in national championship history. So what do you think happened last night? Well, pretty much the same thing happened. UConn dominated San Diego State because those guys just can't shoot. The game, I said <laughs> I said in the Patreon that the game would be over by 940, and I went back and looked, and at 950, I tweeted, good night. San Diego State. So poor San Diego State was pretty close. They were able to come back in the second half and, and cut it to five, but it just they they just could not shoot. So it, it, the game never felt um, in danger in any way. So congratulations to the Huskies and uh, Connecticut, the University of Connecticut, now a blue blood, five national championships since nineteen ninety nine. Finally, you admit it. Finally, you admit it. Yeah, they are absolutely on the same level as Duke, Carolina. Kansas and Kentucky, which are the are. four I winningest. Sar- I know you're being sarcastic. The four winningest uh, programs I, of all time, and the four highest being- winning percentage of all time. And UConn is in the not in the top fifteen for either of those. I know but they being- do have five national championships. And I know you're being sarcastic, but it is true. They are now blue bloods. There's no other. What, this is like UCLA back in the old days. The domination here. You have yeah. to let them in. You have to let them in. They have the domination pass. They've dominated their way into the blue blood. Okay. Well, they're not going to be here long, would be my guess. Ooh. Yeah. UCLA is okay. no longer a blue blood, in my opinion, nor blue, is Indiana. That's not, the way her, that's not the way hereditary stuff works. Once you're a blue blood, you're always a blue blood. doesn't matter See, how I, many generations of coked up I don't know. fail We need to work produce. on the definitions for these things. I yeah, mean, maybe Indiana we should, actually. Ha- has not gone to a Final Four in over 20 years. UCLA has won national championship since 1980. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, UConn. Okay. John, we got an email from the winner of the EPM bracket, whose name is Jeff. Why don't you read this? Okay. Yeah. Jeff writes in, John and David, I feel bad that I spent no time deciding my picks. I randomly The audacity of this guy. I know. This is how it always happens, too. I randomly picked UConn because the women's Final Four was in Minneapolis last year, and I attended the final game between South Carolina and UConn. There was a ton of support for hometown talent, Paige Bukers of Hopkins, Minnesota. Though they lost last year, UConn was on my mind in the bracket. Hats off to the quality brackets of second place Eric Manley, who accurately guessed the point total of the final game. Oh, wow. And seventh place, Connor Moore with 41 correct picks. I also was the person who picked up David from the airport in Minneapolis last June. Mm -hmm. So if those pencil sculpture folks fly him out again this year, I'd be happy to drive again. So congratulations to Jeff. And Jeff, I will tell you in confidence, it looks like I might actually be returning to Minneapolis this coming June in a couple months for another pencil-related activity. It has not yet been entirely confirmed, but I will be in touch because I might need another ride from the airport. Jeff, email us at contact at electionprofitmakers.com, and I'm going to send you a prize for being the EPM bracket winner. I went to a very intriguing estate sale this past weekend that I'm going to talk about later in the episode, but But while I was at that estate sale, I picked up some very interesting books on numerology. 
and I'm going to mail you one of these books. So email me your mailing address, Jeff, and congratulations again. And goodbye forever to the 2023 NCAA National Championship. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We have a lot of listener questions. Okay. Why don't you read this listener question we got from Leslie about Sarah Palin and her news diet, about which you and I had a disagreement. Yes, we did. Leslie writes in, I'm currently listening to your most recent podcast episode and had to respond right away to your debate about Sarah Palin, whether or not she reads the news. You refer to her interview with Katie Couric, where she gave that weird answer. I remembered an interesting piece of information Couric gave in an interview on Fresh Air about that question. This is uh, Couric, quote, I think Terry... First of all, thanks for having me. I was befuddled, (laughs) I think, by her answer. My producer, Brian Goldsmith, and I had seen her actually reading the New York Times on the way to that campaign stop in Ohio. Total vindication of David. And so the fact that she seemed so hesitant about talking about what she read was surprising to me. And you know, it was kind of an open-ended question. We were just getting B-roll of us walking and talking. And, you know, really, I didn't even know if it was going to be something we would use. So, uh, Leslie continues, it was never meant to be a gotcha question. This is not to say that Palin did or didn't keep up with or understand the news, just that she did purposely not give an accurate answer, as David suggested. Love the show. Come to Toronto. Toronto, Canada. Wow. Oh my God. I would love to come to Toronto. I haven't been to Toronto in so long and I have friends in Toronto. The CN Tower. Yeah, that's right. They've got a skyline. They have a skyline in Canada. Oh, okay. Let's let, let me, let me just, let me just take my victory lap here. Thank you, Leslie in Toronto for bringing the receipts so that I could sip this tea (laughs) and enjoy my flowers. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's it. That's the tweet. I knew that Sarah Palin said she read, quote, all the newspapers because she didn't want to admit that she was caught red-handed reading the liberal New York Times. I knew it. I just knew it. And I love the fact that according to according to this quote from Katie Couric on Fresh Air with Terry Gross on NPR and WHYY in Philadelphia, that Katie Couric wasn't even trying to stir up shit. She was just asking any old bullshit question that they they could use when they shot B-roll footage of them walking around. You know what I mean? And then it turned into this whole this whole thing. And John, I'm going to go one step further and say that the thing I joked about last week about her reading Mother Jones and Onion Reader, if she's reading the New York Times, I mean, that's a gateway drug to all kinds of liberal. <laughs> oh, you think she is reading Mother Jones. Now I'm going to say that she actually is reading Mother Jones. Remember Z Magazine? Shout out to yeah. Z Magazine. Maybe she was reading Z Magazine. Reading you think about she reads Michael Albert's policy? Well, maybe because of the you mean foreign affairs or is there a magazine called foreign policy? Oh, there no. is. Yeah, no, there no. is. Yeah, there's foreign affairs and foreign policy. She's probably reading those too. All right, she's probably reading ethics and international affairs. I used to subscribe oh, I, to that journal. I don't. Why know Why did that I subscribe one. to that journal? So dumb. Ethics, ethics of international affairs. Yeah, ethics. I think it was called ethics and international affairs. It was Who like puts an that academic out? Brookings. No, I think it was an academic press. I could okay. be misremembering. But I know Sarah Palin's up and all that. Sarah Palin's probably like texting Willow, like, did you see this new cartoon by Tom Tomorrow? It really makes you think. How did you just drop that name? What, Willow? Yeah. I don't know. Don't you remember they had all those kids and there was all this drama about Yeah, but I don't children remember their names, and Whose child was whose? 
Yeah, Willow was one. Who are you, Andrew Sullivan? Yeah, exactly. Obsessed with um, who's who's if with it was really her child or not. That guy is that guy still around? Andrew Sullivan is he still up to oh something? Oh my god, yeah, he's is still he on around. Substack? He's got to be on Substack. Probably, yeah. My boy definitely has a Substack. Dailydish.substack. Whatever. Maria writes in. I don't usually write to strangers from podcasts. I try to keep my parasocial relationships to myself, but I had to pause the show to immediately tell you this story. When I went through security clearance for a low-level internship position with a federal government agency a few years ago, one of the account security questions during the account setup, this is along the lines of where did your parents meet or what is your paternal grandmother's maiden name? The question was, where were you on 9-11? <laughs> Do you think they were screening me for sketchy answers at that point? Now, we were talking about 9-11 and where people were on 9-11 because last week's episode, we you were telling me that when someone asked Ron DeSantis where he was on 9-11, he was like, fuck, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't politically involved back then. <laughs> Whatever it was, you know, like, yeah. where were you when Food Not Bombs was handing out free walnut cheddar loaf in the park man i don't know i wasn't really politically locked in back then i don't remember where i was but he did that for 9 11 so john what do you think about this security question maria had to answer <laughs> were they trying to trick her into revealing like i, I was know. in the borderlands between afghanistan and pakistan having an important meeting with a <laughs> beloved teacher why do you ask <laughs> i mean she says it was an internship position it was a low level federal government agency. I mean, I guess if it was, you know, the NSA or the FBI or CIA, something like that, maybe they would ask a crazy question like that just to see what you would say. Right. Because they're not curious. Why would they be curious? Maybe what they wanted was a security question that would remind would remind you the stakes of working at the federal government. Uh, like, this is important stuff we're doing here. Right. So you're answering like, this is where I was and this is what I felt and this is why I wanted to become yeah, part of the Yeah, it could be like a agency. kind of, mi not mind control, but a subtle way of being like, this isn't all fun and games here at the federal government. Sometimes we have to deal with a 9-11 or two, you know? Ever heard of it? Yeah. Ever heard of it? Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you for writing in, Maria. <laughs> goodbye. Is that how you answer questions? <laughs> <laughs> we should say know. goodbye to everyone who asks us a question. It's only polite. Uh, you know, we got a we got a letter from Michael too. Um, Michael wrote in about my comments about the Miami skyline last week. Um, oh right, and you said that it was too. You said it was. What you say? It was too linear because Miami is on a narrow I, I, yeah. bit of land or something. Yeah, what I said they're it? sort of on a peninsula and that they they can't really help that it has to be so linear. And uh, he didn't like that. He wrote in Seattle, great skyline is three miles from the sound to the lake. Miami, terrible skyline is five miles from the ocean to the swamp. A little island called Manhattan is only two miles across. It's not geography getting in the way of Miami. I'd like to hear a little more blame next time. So you really got called out by listener Michael. What do you have to say for yourself? This is like uh, your indictment. This is your arraignment right here in the court of public opinion of Skylines. Okay, yeah. it's it's um, So they have a little more room to spread out um, than these other places. And I guess they haven't. You're entering a guilty plea, essentially. Sure, sure. Wow. I'm guilty. Look, we, we agree law. that the Skyline is bad. 
You and Michael agree. Okay. Yes. He he just wanted to say that it's bad because they failed. That if they did spread it out more uh, and made it a little more uh, thicker, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, deeper. Deeper. That it would be better. And I'm not sure that even that is true. Mm. You really have it in for the Miami skyline. But I mean, if you're going to live in Miami, and again, they're only building skyscrapers that aren't office towers. They're only residential. You don't want a, to live in a residential building that is three miles from the coast. In New York, you like being in the center. You don't need to be right on the East River or the Hudson. Okay. You want to be, that's oh. fine. You can be there, but you sort of want to be where the, the center of gravity is. I and can the see center the of def- gravity. The defendant's plan is coming into view. I see how he's going to argue the case. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's, it's that the center of gravity is closer to the coast, to the, to the beach, to Miami beach. Okay. Michael, I think you have I think you have your work cut out for you. I'm starting to understand John's position here, which is that in absolute length or width, Miami might not have an excuse when compared to the much narrower Seattle or Manhattan, but all land is not created equally, especially in Miami, where coastal properties are where you want to be. You want to be close to the water. John, my name is Alvin Bragg. I am the district attorney of Manhattan and the head judge in this courtroom, and I find you not guilty on all counts of of skyline confusion when it comes to the source of Miami's depraved skyline. You are a free man. You're welcome to go. Thank you. We got more skyline talk from Will. Will wrote in and said, with all the skyline talk I've listened to, I haven't heard any discussion of double skylines. I live in Oakland, California, and I'm often treated to the double skyline view of Oakland and San Francisco from various vantage points. And then he sent along a photo that of, one, of a double skyline shot with Oakland and San Francisco in the same frame. This made me wonder what other double skylines are there and what the best ones are. I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but maybe New York and a nearby city? Or I'm sure there's some international ones. I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Okay, uh, just seeing this, and I'm I'm gonna come at this just off the top of my head. So New York has a bit of a double skyline itself. You've got downtown, and you have Midtown, and then you've pretty much got nothing in between. But also Jersey City has one mm. of the biggest skylines just on its own nowadays. So it's got a little double, triple skyline thing happening. You could really say that New York has a triple skyline, couldn't you? Yeah, I think you could. And I gotta say, with uh, you could even make an argument that it had, that yeah, the downtown Brooklyn, you know, it used to be the did Brooklyn just had that one tall building. I think it was a Citibank building or something when I lived in New York. But now well, that was actually in lot. Queens. That's actually oh, a that, Queens. Oh, building. that's in Queens. Okay. Oh, are we talking about a quintuple skyline? Ooh. No one's yeah. ever done that. No one's. And I think uh, Toronto's got a bit of this going on. Um, mm. You know, the Twin Cities. Minneapolis, mm. St. Paul. I found an amazing shot that someone, that a Flickr user, a, remember Flickr.com? It's a mm-hmm. photo photo website. A user named Punchup was in a plane and took a double skyline shot of the Twin Cities, and it's a very cool photograph. 
and Houston has a bunch of little weird skylines as well. So, oh yeah, that is awesome. But Look I think that. technically in the spirit of this inquiry from Will, I think we can't I think a double skyline has to be two different municipal entities. I actually don't think we can count New York City as having a double skyline by referring to the two skylines within Manhattan. Uh, okay. Well, Jersey Jersey City is its own. Right. I mean, you still get you still get one with Jersey City. Okay. Uh, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, definitely. Um, right. Toronto. I don't know the name of uh, the various Toronto enclaves. Mm. Um, There's Maple Syrup Town and Mooseville and Rick Moranisburg. <laughs> That was got to be one of the great Canadian jokes of all time. Because <laughs> I named three things that people associate with Canada and said they were they were neighborhoods in Toronto, which is a Canadian city. Do you understand that? That's yeah, like I joke writing 101. I got it. Uh... It's like, what do you think Donald Trump's favorite drink is? Why, I'd proffer a guess that it's orange juice, for he himself looks quite orange from his tanning bed. What's Donald Trump's favorite type of bed to sleep in? A tanning bed by the looks of it. Yeah. How about that? That's good. Uh, Donald Trump once said, happy happy wife, happy life. And that's why his life is unhappy. Because his wife is unhappy. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Because maybe she doesn't like him. Right? Well, there are two people who are- Donald Trump is very sad today, but there's two people who are very happy- Baron and Melania Trump, who both loathe their criminal father. <laughs> is that a good joke? Yeah. I got to get is. on Bill Maher. I got to get on Bill Maher. Oh, my God. Yeah. The did. GOP now stands for gotcha, old person, Donald Trump, that is. That one, I know. Yeah. You get a gotcha, G- old president. president. Yeah. That- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's sell that T-shirt. We make a million dollars. Oh yeah, GOP stands for Gotcha, old president. And then you could have a little, you could have like a little face of Donald Trump with some bars, like black bars in front of him, like he was in yeah. jail. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We yeah. all know that Donald Trump doesn't like Donald Trump. Famously, doesn't drink alcohol, so he doesn't go to bars. But he might someday go behind some bars where he'll be drinking water. Because mm, interesting, you know, like, like bread that. and because they have bread and oh, water. Oh, right, because they only serve yeah. bread and water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you hear the new menu at Mar-a-Lago? It's called Donald Trump's future dinner that he'll eat every day, <laughs> and it's simply bread and water. Yeah, that might be the best one yet. Okay, that might be the best one yet. Uh, Okay. Just back to the skyline. Just wanted to say Atlanta has a number of different skylines. Yeah. I got the Midtown and and, and Downtown and, uh, you know, Buckhead. Buckhead. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Will. Goodbye. We were briefly discussing hardtack and what the hell is hardtack. Remember? Yeah. Is it beef jerky made out of a buffalo hide or is it a biscuit or is it like just like butter that's just so hard you just eat it all day when you're out on your horse on the range rustling cattle or moving westward as part of manifest destiny, right? (laughs) Manifest destiny, yeah. Allie wrote in and said, a couple weeks back, you posed the question, what is hardtack? And I dug out an article I wrote on the subject in 2018 for Happiness Pony. 
which is a free monthly one-sheet newspaper in Worcester, Massachusetts. How do you like that? Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah. Where I once saw Slick Rick in concert. Wowie zowie. Really? Memories from the past. Yeah. I was living in Boston, and we drove to Worcester to see Slick Rick, and he came Is out Worcester and- close to Springfield? Springfield's further west. I think Springfield is further west than Worcester. Yeah. Is Worcester Metro West? I love that. I don't know. Maybe. Metro West? What do you like? You like that phrase you mean? Or you no, just I think it's really silly? Like, that's just what they do refer to oh, that right. area of Boston. Let me read Metro some selections West. So from I did not know that Allie actually wrote this. Okay. I just want to say, I just want to- She says, I dug out an article I wrote on the subject. She wrote this. Harder bread for a hard luck America. That's a good title for this article. Mm-hmm. All right, let's pick up the highlights. There are lots of shortcomings to be found with portable, non-perishable, high-calorie foods, and many have to do with the fact that most people still want to eat food that sort of tastes good. (laughs) For those who are ready to add a difficult-to-like item into their snack regimen, it's time to consider a food that falls somewhere between unsalted saltines and wheat paste on toast. Hardtack. All right, hardtack has been a staple ration for soldiers, sailors, prospectors, all others on journeys too long to enjoy perishable foods. That's Isn't why I was associated- ration? Ration. Ration. What did I say? Ration? You said ration, yeah. Ration? It's a ration. Yeah. Readers might be familiar with the hardtack of the Civil War, as these rations are well-documented and may remain on display in museums and historical collections. But hardtack has been around since the Crusades. Tough Solid bread made from flour and a little salt mixed with just enough water to bind it together. Baked as a flat sheet at a low temperature until it is completely dry all the way through. And there you go. That's what it is. There we are. Okay. So, but it says here that there's a there's a commercial version, Sailor Boy Pilot Bread. It's the only remaining commercial hardtack in the U.S. is sold almost exclusively in Alaska. Huh. Sailor Boy Pilot Bread. Yeah, I want. I would like to order some. You want to try that hardtack? Yeah. Yeah, you know me. I don't enjoy food that much. I could eat some hardtack. What if you went on a diet for the next 20 years and it was just hardtack and Soylent? It was high-protein weirdo shakes that the venture capitalists drink and then hardtack that the Civil War soldiers drank. It'd be like the past and the future colliding in your, in your, in your gut biome. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was this movie that came out last year called First Cow, and it was kind of about hardtack. It was about this guy came up with a new recipe for biscuits or something, but they had to they had to steal the milk from a cow and it was set in the past. It was an old 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 movie set in the past by uh, Kelly Reichardt, and it's kind of about this very thing. It's about weird old timey food. So there you go, First Cow. Hardtack is very much on our minds these days. Thank you, Allie, for writing in. Last week, we treated everyone to a snippet of the E.T. song that was on that record that I bought at the flea market and then discovered by looking on Discogs that the record is worth over $100. This is a rare triumph in my 35-year career of buying weird old records. And I asked other listeners if they had had any um, fun records that they had stumbled upon. And we we got a few interesting dispatches here, John. Why don't you take the first one? Let's see what Austin has to say. Austin writes in, your mention of the E.T. record you found in the wild was truly exciting and something that I would love to hear more about of on the show. I've dedicated my life to hunting for strange records, and while my collection isn't precisely robust, I have managed to find quite a few gems just by digging around in a box that I found under a table at some weird thrift store on the coast. 
I have never sold any of the records I've found. I've worked in enough record stores to know that making money on selling records, even at home via eBay, should be done because you love it and not because you will make a lot of money at it. You very well could make tons of money if you're lucky, have a good eye, and can put in the time to find new stuff to then buy and turn around. But I usually buy because I can see the radio potential. It's a good night's entertainment to find some strange record, pop some corn, and see if there's anything to the $1 you've spent. Anyway, here are a few of the more memorable gems that I couldn't resist buying, and usually only for a dollar or two. The first one is called Flight F-I-N-A-L. There is a nearly endless well of strange religious LPs that were made by small labels, and I'm not even a major collector of these kinds of records. But Flight F-I-N-A-L is truly a strange album that shouldn't be passed up when you find it at Goodwill. I've seen copies of it over the years all over the place, and I suspect you can find one if you look. That's the true. Album, I have I have a sealed copy of this that I got at a thrift store. Oh, so you've heard of this. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've never uh, listened to it, though, because I never broke the seal. Because you want to sell it and make money. I'm a, well, finish reading this, and then we'll talk about how much money it's worth. <laughs> okay. Uh, the album uh, dramatizes what's what it's like for a reporter to go to the airport where people have died and then catching a flight to heaven with all of the trappings of stewardesses making announcements passengers singing songs about what's happening and the reporter interviewing passengers and describing what he's seeing a truly strange audio journey that sounds like a series of samples that hardcore bands are waiting to use before their next hit song the terminal is very crowded today and we are told that this is not at all unusual for eventually all people of all nations will pass through this point of separation let's listen to the dispatcher Flight F-I-N-A-L, non-stop supersonic service to the New Jerusalem, is now ready for boarding at the Gate of Death. Passengers holding confirmed reservations for this flight may proceed immediately to this gate through the blood-sprinkled concourse. Because the exact time of departure is uncertain, you are urged to remain ready at any moment. Thank you. The crowd seems to be milling about, most everyone talking, some praying, some laughing, with only a few people acting as if they were paying any attention to the announcement. They're making ready to leave on this flight. Who are these that were listening to the dispatcher and responding? Well, with close observation, we notice that each one of them has a ticket in his hand. Sir, could I see your ticket for just a moment so that I can tell our audience about it? Thank you. It says issued from Mount Calvary by the chief agent, the Holy Spirit. And it has been officially stamped with the blood of Jesus Christ. So I found a copy of this sealed and bought it instantly for whatever, a dollar, because I assumed it was worth $2,000 because it looked weird and funky. But they made so many copies of this record that it's not worth much at all. The other album that he writes in about is something called Canine Heart Sounds. Have you heard of this one too? I never heard of this record. Okay, recordings of different kinds of canine heart sounds for vets to use as comparisons for patient dogs they are Whoa. treating. It is probably the weirdest album I found in the wild, and most people tend to be truly baffled by it when I mention it. I've sampled this album a number of times for different kinds of rhythmic tracks, and it is always eerie and strange. I've had a few friends offer to buy this one from me, but I think it's more valuable as something to occasionally mix into a radio show. So this album is 
a reference is reference audio for canine heart sounds. It is it is what it is. It's canine heart sounds. That's even better than my than my sleep machine I bought that has a human heart sound, John. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. And you know what I realized? This guy who wrote in, this Austin, this is the fellow who advertised with us about musical postcards, right? Yeah, it is. This guy is like a, a music audio collage guy. Patreon.com slash Austin Rich, okay? This is, a f- this is free bonus advertising. What other podcast will give your advertiser a free bonus shout out? Thank you for writing back in, Austin. Patreon.com slash Austin Rich if you're interested in getting these monthly musical postcards. And now, John, his number one thrift store record find is Living in the Star War. Living, sorry, his, yeah, number one find is uh, Living in These Star Wars by the Rebel Force Band. <laughs> that title sucks. That title is so confusing. <laughs> Living writes, in These Star Wars. Yeah. By the Rebel Force Band. So he writes, probably the best album I found, like the one you are talking about. Original music written by a few guys who all went and saw Star Wars and released the album later in 1977. (laughs) Wow. They were ready to cash in. Yes. That's quick turnaround. The title song also had a disco remix at the end of the album to pad out side two. And the original songs sort of acknowledge the story of the movie, but in other cases have no connection to Star Wars. Quote, don't fall in love with an android and space out are sort of only tangentially connected to Star Wars, if you could even say they are at all. Even songs with direct references like Chewy the Rookie Wookie wow. and a respirator for Darth Vader. Oh my are god, this more is strange. It's like MF Doom. Yeah. Uh a respirator for Darth Vader are more strange rock songs that are almost funny rather than sla- slavish, slavish. I never know if it's slavish or slavish. Um to the plot plot. No, to no the I plot. think that's plot. P-L-O-T, yes. I'm pretty sure, is plot. Yeah, I know. To the plot of Star Wars, I will admit there are no surprises on this album. Luke and Han don't win the World Cup for some reason. Unlike on my record where E.T. wins the Super Bowl, thank you very much. Right. Still, this album is so strange and so weird that when you finally get to the disco version of the main hit, that doesn't even feel like the weirdest moment of the album. I found this one back in the 90s, and I'm sure it's only gone up in value since then. But many people have offered to buy it, and I always say no. See, I, there's a theme there. He, people, mm-hmm. He always mm-hmm. denies people because it is too strange to part with. So I looked this one up, living in these Star Wars. Of these three re- – now, Austin, you might not want to hear this. You might not want to hear this mercenary uh, capitalist 
information. So cover your ears for the next 30 seconds. But I'll tell the rest of our listeners that sure enough, living in these Star Wars, the LP by the Revel Force Band, looks like it goes for about $50 on Discogs these days. So that's a decent, that's a decent record to have in your collection. $50, that's a lot of money. Thank you, Austin. Goodbye. John, let's turn now to record information that came to us courtesy of listener Jacob. Jacob writes, a couple years ago, I walked into one of my local antique shops with the explicit purpose of buying some cheap records. It was one of those dingy little shops with only enough space for a treacherous footpath that forced you to meander your way through walls of rusting crap. It was the kind of place to price records by number instead of by quality or rarity. A record is a dollar. Take it or leave it. So Jacob, Jacob was about to hit the honeypot. I find my way to the records, which seem to have been sitting in an ill-fitting plastic tub for quite some time. The records towards the back were badly warped and some had even molded. But something caught my eye. An unassuming LP ensconced in a blue denim sleeve. I took it out knowing I would buy it for the sleeve alone, but it was in surprisingly good condition for its circumstances. And when I took it home and cleaned it, it played just fine. Anyway, I bought it for $1. It was Chuck Howard's Sounds of Sadness, a haunting folk LP about the woes of life. It has only been sold once on Discogs for $200. Definitely my best find yet. Jacob, congratulations. That is a score. Sounds of Sadness. And you know what I thought of when I heard about this record and his description of it? A haunting folk LP? John, it reminded me in high school when I went to the Chapel of the Cross ABC sale, that is the Attic Basement Cupboard Sale, the annual fundraiser that the Chapel of the Cross holds, um, where all the parishioners donate old items to be sold for the benefit of the community. I bought a record by Scottish, I think he's Scottish folk singer Bert Janch, called Needle of Death, which I guess is about heroin. And that is a very haunting song. It's a great song. And I can't find that fucking record. I must have lent it to somebody hmm. and they and, and never gotten it back. Breaking news, John, interrupting the thrift store rel- record information to say Donald Trump pleaded not guilty. 34 felony charges. Let's take a quick break, folks, while we turn to trusted news sources and see what's going on. Let's see what these charges are. Trump pleads not guilty to 34 felony counts. Oh, there he is sitting at a ta- he's sitting at a little table in the courtroom, just like Gwyneth Paltrow. It's so interesting. Look at that. Oh, really? Where are you seeing this? I'm on NewYorkTimes.com. You know where I'm going? This is my new news source. It's Drudge Report. Oh, my Come God. Come full circle. It's 1998. Report. Wow. Manhattan prosecutors on Tuesday accused Donald J. Trump of covering up a potential sex scandal during the 2016 presidential campaign, unveiling 34 felony charges that open a perilous chapter in the long public life of the billionaire businessman who rose to the presidency and now faces the prospect of, oh, my God, New York Times never changed New York Times. Ah, can our precious gossamer-like democracy withstand the storm that is about to hit us all? (laughs) Wow, interesting. All right, well, there you go. 34 criminal counts of falsifying business records. I'm telling you, man, it's just like the the school board member in Johnston County. It's the same thing. The best thing was the headline on the, the, the best headline, New York Times or the like, the you know, the lead in a story was like 
has to do with hush money payments to a former pornographic film actress. Just say porn star. Get over yourself, New York Times. Like, has anyone in human history other than a newspaper referred to anybody as a pornographic film actress? I mean, I, I don't I don't mean to disparage Stormy Daniels like she seems like a smart, capable person. It's yeah. like she she can withstand being called like a porn actress, like just use the term that everyone knows. Right. Right. Is that weird? That really struck me as kind of like funny. Is that f- pornographic film actress? That's fine. You Not know, even the funniest porno, porno movie actress, pornographic film actress. They didn't shoot that stuff on film. Video actress, a video vixen. They should have called her a video vixen. Yeah, yeah, they should have. <laughs> I think the weirdest thing that the New York Times does is w- when they when they use initials in uh, any any type of acronym or initialism. Oh, they so, have to put yeah, they have to put the periods in. You mean yeah? So last night it was breaking. Yukon wins the in period C period A period A period <laughs> championship game. Right. Uh, yeah. But they probably, I mean, I'm kind of sympathetic to that because they probably feel like they're, like they're the last defense. Like if they give it away, if they give up those dots, then everything's going to come crashing. I mean, isn't that the overriding sensibility of a institutional journal or paper of record like the New York Times? It's like we are the last bulwark against society completely collapsing. Right. Like, you know how the New Yorker. New Yorker does that kind of thing where there's some words where the A and the E are connected as one weird <laughs> right. It make, ugh, right. It makes me feel queasy for some reason. Yeah. Like, whenever I see it, I just want to throw up. But it feels like, we, well, we've always done it this way. And if we if we stop doing this, then then everything will fall apart. Although they do use cuss words in the New Yorker now. So who knows? Maybe a little ch- – maybe too much change is bad, John, but a little change is okay. Is the New York Times so- a blue blood? Yeah. Is uh, USA Times Today is a blue blood? Mm, I don't USA know. Today sells more papers, and since apparently wow, if you, you have oh, more I see what championships. You're, I, I see you, what you're doing here. Yeah. I see what you're doing here. You're trying to trick me into agreeing that UConn is not a blue blood by making them analogous to USA Today. That's right. I'm telling you, if Elon College wins six national championships in a row beginning next year. Uh-huh. Is Elon College a blue blood? Mm. You've given me much to consider, John. Much to consider. Let me let me let me pray on this, and I'll get back to okay. you next week. All right. Sorry, the dog's barking. New York Times, I think, is probably the most blue blood thing in America at this point. Right? Yes. Maybe Harvard is more blue blood than the New York Times. Like if you're doing like a Q rating of blue bloodedness. Yes, you would say Harvard. And the New York Yale, Times. the New York Times, University of Virginia, mm, and uh, William and Mary. Nothing west of Virginia is blue blood. Oh, uh, right. No, no right? nothing. Yeah, nothing west of Richmond or Raleigh is blue blood. Like, there's nothing blue blood in Pittsburgh. I don't know. Carnegie? I don't know. Oh, well, hmm. All right, let's let's get back to the record talk. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You want to read this last one? Joe. Joe writes, regarding finding rare records near my house in Shorewood, 
Illinois, there's a monthly outdoor craft market thing, and occasionally an out-of-town record shop sets up a table. It's mostly what you'd expect to find at a craft fair in the Midwest, but I always have to look, and last summer I found a copy of U.S. Maple's long out-of-print album, Talker, for $30. Now, you can score one on Discogs for $45, so the value versus what I paid isn't that exciting, but talk about finding something in exactly the last place on earth you'd ever expect to find it. It was genuinely thrilling. Love the show. I'm a Patreon supporter, but I can't figure out the Discord. What the oh. fuck? Okay, I'll... I'll. Uh, Can you I'll, look into that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Joe, congratulations on your find. It reminds me of something that happened to me, John, not 48 hours ago. You want to talk about finding a record? I'm about to wa watch how I wrap this up. Finding a record in the last place you thought you would find it? Well, John, last Sunday, I went to an estate sale. Um, and not just any estate sale, John. It was the former estate, that is to say, the house of a man named Edward Schofield. Edward Schofield, based on my snooping around his house and the materials that I walked away with, was an interesting person. Edward Schofield wrote a book called Ronald Reagan, B Actor, A President. Now, this book was given to me by the people managing the estate sale when I walked in because they had so many copies of Schofield's book in Schofield's former house that they were giving them out as door prizes to everyone who walked into the estate sale. In fact, in Schofield's former study, there was an entire bookcase filled of this volume, which made me realize this is probably a self-published book. Let me read to you from the author's note at the beginning of this book. The entire collection of letters sent by the author to President Reagan is too large to include in this volume. Therefore, in some instances, only excerpts are given to avoid repetition, and these have been tightly edited for clarity and readability. The authenticity of the letters otherwise has been preserved. All income derived from the sale of this book, including the author's royalties, will go to the Foundation for Universal Understanding, a nonprofit organization dedicated to establishing psychology as a true science. This book by Edward Schofield is a record, an incomplete record of all the letters that he sent to Ronald Reagan over the course of Reagan's presidency, offering him advice, including in chapter 15, which is called Humor, Life's Saving Grace, the following letter. Dear Honorable President Wren, this letter is dated February 23rd, 1981, so Ronald Reagan has just begun his presidency, right? February... 23rd, 1981. Yep. Yeah, this would have been about a month before he was shot. Right. After he and his minions convinced Iran to to delay releasing the hostages so that he right. could win the I can't believe that wasn't a bit that's such a that's something we talked about. That's such a huge scandal. We just don't have time for it as a country. No, we don't. The hostages actually their 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 imprisonment was extent was extent that was the goal of the mm -hmm. Reagan administration was to keep the hostages imprisoned longer that's quite scandalous if you ask me call me old-fashioned but I consider that quite scandalous but let's 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 turn to humor life saving grace this letter to President Ronald Reagan from Schofield regarding it says the twinkle in your eyes end quote and the need for humor 
Honorable President Reagan, one of the reasons I begged you to change your position on debating Carter, which advice did not go unheeded, was because I knew that the public would notice that constant twinkle in your eyes, which I have seen ever since our old Warner Brothers studio days. I credit those twinkles as much as anything for your landslide election. It was that twinkle that, quote, hit your constituents below their conscious level, or at least gave balm to those underlying fears and feelings of despair and desperation. Take another look at the debate and notice the doomsday look in the eyes of Jimmy Carter. Those eyes reflected his own fears, which were transmitted into the hearts of our countrymen via the devastatingly faithful eye of the TV camera. The point is that your presidency is an awesome job. Under its pressures, it is so easy to lose one's sense of humor. We must realize that in the darkest hour, sometimes only the retention of a sense of humor can save us. The soul grows in solitude and the heart grows in pain, but sanity is kept intact through humor. You can heighten you already have, people's spirits by keeping that twinkle in your eyes when you feel your lips can no longer smile when the burden seems unbearable. This will keep your people behind you no matter what. People's attitudes are usually the reflection, even if it is only reflex action or a conditioned reflex, of the eyes that stare out at them, be it joy or fear. And on and on and on. Edward Schofield, the man writing to President Reagan with 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 devastating regularity um, and whose book I now own and whose estate sale I went to and whose library I ransacked finding two books on numerology, one of which I will send to EPM bracket winner, Jeff. The first book is called fortune telling with numbers, knowing yourself and your fate through numerology. The second book is called your right action number, your past, present and future with numerology by Dr. Juno Jordan an internationally recognized, outstanding numerologist of the present time. For over 50 years, she has <laughs> devoted her time entirely to the science of numbers yes. in the areas of research and counting. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. Now, did you check to make sure none of these people are Nazis? I, or... I think they all passed the Nazi check. There's almost okay. no online information about Edward Schofield. I mean, when I first showed up and saw this Reagan book and I did, there were all these Reagan books, I thought, oh, this guy must be a presidential biographer. I'm going to Google him and see if I find mm-hmm. no, there's. An, and then I was like, oh, this guy's just some Hollywood dude who just like went just like just constantly wrote President Reagan and decided the letters were so interesting. He was just going to collect them in a book that he self-published. It's like one of those types of people. It's there's so a lot great. Of people, a lot of people with money who convince themselves that they're smart and the world needs to know their wisdom. And so they self-publish books and records. Now, I say all that, John, to say this. Edward Schofield also had a massive collection of LPs. So, of course, when I showed up for this estate sale, I started to start leafing through all these LPs. Now, it was the standards that was like Montevani and freaking Sing Along with Mitch and just like light it. Like I've, 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 I don't need those records anymore. But there was one record that he had. Oh, and there's also a sealed copy of Evangelis EP, the guy who made Chariots of Fire and and Blade Runner soundtracks, like the legendary Greek synthesizer guy. Love I got it. a sealed sealed LP by him. That's great. The thing that was crazy was there was a Celibate Rifles LP in the middle of all this. Celibate Rifles are like an 80s Australian like garage indie rock band. Okay. Like what in the world? And I turned to the guy managing the estate sale and I was like, I was like, did did Edward Schofield like, was this one of his kids? Like, why does he have this record? The guy had never, guy didn't know what, he didn't know about the Celibate Rifles. Like, what does he care? He didn't grow up listening to WXYC in the 80s. 
the guy running the estate sale had bought the house with everything in it because, as he explained to me, no, that guy didn't have any kids in a band. Edward Schofield had no children, which probably explains, number one, why he had time to constantly write Ronald Reagan. Number two, why he had the money to buy all these damn records. And number three, why this new fellow was able to buy the entire house with all of the contents still in the house because there was nobody, there was no heirs to take away all the mm-hmm. stuff, right? Kind of melancholy, which is one of the, you know, that's one of the risks of going to an estate sale. You might find some bargains, but you might walk out with a crushing sense of melancholy, right? Mm-hmm. And despair at the fleeting nature of life. Why did, I would go to my grave wondering why Edward Schofield had a celibate rifles album in the midst of all this other like cheesy, easy listening stuff. Like what makes no, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Somebody must have infiltrated that record to fuck with my mind as part of a psychological experiment. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It seems like you could find the answer. I might have to hire Starly. If Starly ever starts that mystery show again, I'd be like, Starly, you need to get to the bottom of this. And I'm afraid the only way we can do it is to hold a goddamn seance and talk to Ed (laughs) Schofield from beyond the grave. Say, first of all, what's it like finally meeting Ronald Reagan in person? Did he thank you for all the years of advice you provided him free of charge through your constant letter writing campaigns? And secondly, why did you have an album by the celebrate? Like the celebrate rifles are not even like fake. They're not, they were never like famous, you know, it's not like having like, I don't know what to compare it to. Like he had some Beatles records, you know, and right. Um, right. And that's that makes sense. Like, yeah, it's rock music, but it was the Beatles. It was like the most famous band ever. Like Celebrate Rifles. What? Like, that's crazy. And that was the only one that was obscure. And that was the only record that he had in the I mean, I didn't leaf through all the records because it would have taken all afternoon because it was a lot of records. But it's the kind of you know, like nowadays when you go to a thrift store. Like I mentioned last week, like there's no good records anymore because they've all been picked over. And it's like, how many times do I need to look at this damn this, you know, instrumental? I'm trying to think of like a what's like a classic, um, like a classic instrumental record that everybody has. Herb Alpert, the one with the lady with the whipped cream all over her naked body. You know, right. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Right. It's like that. You know, there's so many of those out there and you're flipping through the collection. You're like, oh, I get it. I get, I see what this, I got this guy's number. I see you, Ed Schofield. Okay. And then it's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Celebrate rifles. What's going on? Really exciting stuff. And let me mention one more thing, John, as long as I'm just kind of riffing on records and Ronald Reagan. Oh, wait, never mind. I never have a record. Mind. Yeah, because I misremembered the I have a record that's called I Pencil, which is a classic LP, and it is told from the perspective of a pencil. And it was put out in the middle of the Cold War as an anti-communist record because what it is doing is th- it, the story is narrated by a pencil, and it's the story of the pencil's own creation. And it's about how all these different components and different elements need to be added to the pencil. And the only way that all of these things can be coordinated is through the genius of the free market system. Mm -hmm. So it uses the pencil as a tool of capitalism, as a Mm. propaganda tool of capitalism. Like, I guess the, the subtext is like communists could never make pencils. Like, it's too much markets involved. That that I think that's not true because I do think communists could make pencils, but I mean, there's a famous joke that the the U.S. spent millions and millions of dollars making the ballpoint pen in space, and then the the Soviets 
just used a pencil. So Right. And that story's bullshit because you can't use a pencil in zero gravity because the carbon of the pencil could break off and carbon is conductive and you could short out the entire spaceship. Whoa. So that thing that thing's always been that's that's a that's an old wives' tale. Oh, I love thank you for telling me that. Getting back to I pencil, for a moment I thought it was narrated by Ronald Reagan, but I don't think that's true. I'll have to dig up that record and see. Anyway, I wanted to mention the celibate rifles. Um, LP that I saw at this estate sale because Joe was talking about finding a record at the last place you would you would um, think to find it. And I will say that I did not have finding a celibate rifles album in the former estate of the man who wrote Ronald Reagan hundreds of letters and then self-published a volume of those letters on my 2023 bingo card. Thank you very much. Election Profit Makers is an independent production. We welcome your support on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. Send your election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And if you would like to advertise with us, email us at contact at electionprofitmakers.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye.